going on, Michael Vincent. <laughs> but look at what's happened to the size of a pallet. Look That's at this a thing. full-sized four-by... Or no, it's only a two-way pallet now. Look there are no more things. four-way pallets. Look anymore. at these things. Smaller than ever and cost six times as much. <laughs> I'm doing her. That's the dude. Welcome, welcome to What the Truck. That's a heavy pallet, by the way. Is it really? Thick, huh? yeah. Unbelievable. What's hey, up, man? It's a beautiful spring day here, my friend, in Chattanooga. The heart of Freight Alley, yeah. my friend. And it is the day after Father's Day. Yeah. Happy Father's Day. Didn't get a chance to talk to you. It looks like you're wearing your gift right there. I am. I am number one dad. Nice. What did you, you and your shit will never leave my body. What did you and your uh, family get into? Uh, So we went, uh, we went to the Ocoee, did, you know, up to the river, white rafter, uh, white water rafting, that type of stuff. Uh, And uh, then just, you know, home, grilling, hanging out, chilling out. Celebrating stuff, all things dad. We, How about uh, yourself, man? It was good. It was really nice to, especially after last year, having all everything opened up. And, yeah. you know, we went to Community Pie. It's a great pizza place out here. Shout out to, to Community Pie. Funny story about them. One time we had a wedding shower here. Guy brought oh, in gosh. the salads, right? Yeah. He brought the yeah. salads. Yeah. He, he brings in the salads. He leaves his truck running. He goes out back outside to get the pizzas. He comes back in. He goes, I got a problem. Someone <laughs> jumped in the guy's truck, right? And he drove yeah. away with like 25 pizzas. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Entire company wedding party. Yeah. Uh, but either way, we went to I think we gave him a check for like five grand or something. The company did. We did. I gave him some PayPal money. Yeah. Yeah. Phil was collecting that. But we went to Community Pie, and then uh, there was a Juneteenth celebration right downtown. There's also oh, yeah. like a motorcycle gathering that goes on on Market Street. Yeah. Every Friday they do that. Down Good times. So we, cool. we did some mini golf with the kids over at uh, Top Golf, which so, Top Golf, by the way, world's like worst, most basic like white music DJ you could ever hear. <laughs> Is like, that like, right? Ice, ice, ba- just the most generic songs you could imagine. Oh, really? Yeah, like the beginnings movie. of Muzak. Just awful, <laughs> just awful music, just awful. But it's a good time, and we also it's got a Lego soft set. Jazz the kids experience. got me a Lego set. It's a tradition now. Last year we did like the Stranger Things house for Father's Day. This year they got me this Lego set. Check it out; it's pretty cool. It's the Ecto One. Oh, we got one. Nineteen eighties. Check it out; it's really cool. Looking. Oh yeah, there you go. The Ecto One. <laughs> there we nice. go. There you go. Like move along. Let's check the next one here. Oh, like the banana for scale. Yeah. Twenty two hundred pieces. <laughs> move along. Keep them moving. There we go. Beautiful looking, right? Oh, you guys crushed it, man. How yeah. many hours was that? Good time. We also did uh, a few hours. I don't know. Yeah, not that In bad. Between huh? stuff. Not we were bad. doing archery. It was a long weekend. So archery as well? So what, are you, you archery you're teaching them? A little bit of archery, yeah. Yeah? Shooting some arrows. He's really into Breath of the Wild, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. So, you know. Okay. Link has a, uh, a bow and arrow in that, and he shoots. Oh, yeah, arrows. of course. So of he course. wants to learn how. But anyways, we're talking, you know, speaking the same language, we're talking about robots, robotics, and innovation. And what's yeah. really cool is Mass Robotics should be on today, and they're going to talk to us about the uh, formal language they're putting together that is going to allow all these different robots to speak to each other and collaborate. Super important in driving innovation forward. But before we get to that in the news, let's tip the band. This episode is brought to you by Legend Transportation, which has been established. Establishing partnerships through outstanding customer service since 2007. To learn more at, tell them, dude. Oh, man. Go to newlegendinc.com immediately after the show. Or Headline. Else. There we go. All right. CEO denies ties to sophisticated double brokering scheme in Southern California. Clarissa Haas, a reporter here, she's been chasing this case. 
And uh, here's how it goes. The CEO of several transportation companies linked to an alleged sophisticated double brokering rings claims he's been unfairly targeted by his competitors, yeah. possibly because he's Armenian. Yeah. Uh, on a call with FreightWaves, Steve Eftian, he's, uh, he initially denied any affiliation with Allstate Association, which is headquartered in San Fernando, California. Allstate Association is one of three brokers at the center of an alleged multi-million dollar load brokering scam involving nearly 600 companies. And, you know, you pay attention online, everybody hates this double brokering that goes on. Well, he told FreightWaves that it doesn't make sense because you would put logistics or trucking, not the word association. It doesn't go with a brokerage name, <laughs> but I can't speak on their behalf. Those guys aren't chumps. They're making 500 to 600 million and living in $5 million mansions, though. <laughs> really weird. So he's saying that it wouldn't be him because the it name doesn't have trucking can't or logistics. It possibly in it. be him. It doesn't have trucking in the word. I wouldn't But they're doing a great job living in big houses. It's not me. I'm wearing glasses. How can, you, how can you possibly think it's me? Mess around and get caught. <laughs> he later confirmed to FreightWaves that he was one of those guys he was talking about that were living in $5 million mansions and making two to $500 million a year or $600 million a year. After a 2018 Vibes podcast on YouTube surfaced of him and the company CFO Alfred Magrabian, <laughs> Magrabian, I guess, I don't know, explaining all state associations' business practices. The childhood best friends who graduated from Glendale High School in 1996 started the company in 2003. In February 2018, Avetian and Magrabian appeared on a Vibes podcast talking about their business success, claiming that they had nearly $200 million. Uh, they made nearly $200 million the previous year and were planning a company retreat retreat to present 18 Rolex watches to the company's top sales agents hey, that next month. Not bad work if you can get it double broke. Is that where you got that uh, Rolex you were wearing the other day? Rolex. I don't even, I don't like watches. No. I don't like watches or I never jewelry and having my skin break out. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, anyways, he describes Allstate Associations as a transportation service provider that helps other entrepreneurs build their trucking companies or brokerages, but it comes at a hefty price. Allstate gets 20% of their clients' Sweet. revenue. Sweet. So this is like a big pyramid scheme of trucking yeah. in a lot of ways, right? Yeah. So these guys don't have any assets or anything. They don't uh, move anything around. They uh, double broker the loads. They uh, get on these load boards. What's alleged here is they keep coming up with all these different MC numbers, right? And I think that's how they get got caught. They just get another one. And how yeah. they got caught was the concentration of MC numbers right in this one area. Now, for people who are not familiar, though, how do you get a motor carrier number? It's really not that hard. You just apply. You can go to safersys.org and, and apply for one. Yeah. I've done it before. I've gone on there before and just looked for old ones and just and, and called ones that are inactive that are there that are still valid and, and bought them before. So it's not you know, really it's, regulated. It's, it's like yeah, buying it's, domain names. Almost. It's really not that hard to do to get one. And I don't think it's regulated enough. That, and obviously. You know, of course you look not. At certain yeah. places. I mean, I mean really, these guys got hundreds of them. 300 right? to 600 yeah, different they shell get a companies. A couple people complain. Better, better business bureau. You show up on Carrier 411 or something like that or Carrier Watch. Yeah. And then you just buy another one and go into business again. Well, this is how they got nailed. It was uh, by Joe Howard, right? He works for a Midwestern logistics company. We covered this story a few months ago. This is just a little bit deeper into it. He created a spreadsheet to track all these suspected companies, largely based in Southern California. He's noticing those anomalies with the MC numbers. Howard said the alleged double brokering ring originally started with three large brokerages that are still operating, including Allstate Association. Um, but FDN said, I don't know if I'm being targeted because I'm Armenian and so many, pe so many of the people I've helped set up their businesses, but it's definitely character assassination. Everyone double brokers. It's been around forever, so you, you can't blame him. It's, uh, 
part of his character is just doing whatever everyone else does, regardless yeah. if it's right or wrong. Yeah. John B., a logistics coordinator for Ohio-based 3PL, said frustration is mounting with the FMCSA about why the alleged scammers are allowed to vie for freight when they don't have any trucks or equipment and shippers or brokers specifically state the loads are not to be double brokered. I mean, that's one of those disclaimers that nobody really seems to pay attention to. Yeah, it is. I mean, you're not supposed to be double brokering. You say it's not supposed to be double brokering. I'd, is it the FMCSA's right or under their jurisdiction to to monitor that? I don't know. Could Tell be. you the truth. Obviously not. They're not doing it. it. Yeah, it seems like there definitely needs to be more oversight here. Yeah. Now, what the guy's doing and what they un- uncovered is certainly bad, but I think it speaks to a much bigger issue. Yeah. Uh, keep trucking, right? They've been valued at $2.3 billion after a Series E raise. Gray Shark has a report on that. Fleet management software company Keep Truck announced it has closed a Series E round for $190 million. Um, investors include GT Venture Partners, Index Ventures, Green Oaks, and a number of others. With these new funds, the company is now valued at $2.3 billion, wow. aiming to build the logistics industry's top fleet management tools for its network of 400,000 vehicles across North America. Nice. With these growing fleets, the company has seen seven. 70% annualized growth since the pandemic, uh, leading to a surge in customers within new markets like construction, field services, agriculture, who are looking to shift their commercial fleets into the digital area uh, era, was, as everybody is, right? Keep Trucking's customer base uses the company's range of hardware and software solutions to optimize their fleet capacity and improve their safety records with tools including its drive risk score, smart dash cam, and safety hub. Wow. Well, hey, shift to reverse. Lordstown Motors is backtracking again on electric pickup orders. You read the What the Truck newsletter last week. We covered the story in there. If you want to read this week, go to FreightWaves.com slash WTT. Subscribe comes out 6 p.m. Eastern time on Tuesdays. But Alan Adler reports Lordstown Motors Company backtracked on statements by its president that the startup had confirmed orders for its endurance commercial electric pickup truck, telling the SEC the orders are solid. But not bankable. The reversal of comments by President Rich Schmidt on Tuesday come in the form of an 8K filing with the SEC, which already investigated earlier claims of alleged inflated orders that contributed to the ouster of founder and CEO Steve Burns last Monday. Yeah, nice. The latest kerfuffle comes after a going concern filing last week that said the company might not survive the year without additional funds. Lordstown began public trading last October after a business combination with Diamond Peak Holdings Corp, a special. Yeah, well, here's what the company has to say about it. Although these vehicle purchase agreements provide us with a significant indicator of demand for the endurance, they do not represent binding purchase orders or other firm purchase commitments. We have no binding purchase orders or commitments for customers. So nice of them to clarify that now yeah, at this point. Yeah. Sure, investors will yeah, be very yeah, happy. They want it so bad they will not commit or order one. <laughs> okay, so Mass Robotics, right? They are a nonprofit, and they're publishing the first Open source autonomous mobile robot, that's AMR, in interoperability standards. I was going to say inoperability. That would be <laughs> yeah, terrible, that right? That would not be <laughs> Which, very good, no. That will enable AMRs from multiple vendors to integrate and work together seamlessly to support safe and efficient operations in global logistics, warehouses, distribution, and fulfillment centers. This is really, really huge news. And we're seeing this a lot in freight tech, right? Where there's all these different companies are making their own platforms. But you know, one of the promises of data and technology is breaking down these silos. But you bring a bunch of different uh, gateways and gatekeepers and, and silos just digitally, it doesn't really kick the ball forward. So you're building a brand new market like this robot, warehouse robotics market. Um, you got to have collaboration. We're going to find out from Tom Ryden, he's the executive director of Mass Robotics, what this is all about. Thank you so much for joining us today, Tom. Hey, great to, great to be here. Thank you uh, for having me. Yeah. Hey, what part of uh, Boston are you guys in? That's uh, my hometown. Ah, we are right down in the Seaport District, so the new Innovation District of Boston. 
Oh, beautiful. If you people have, if you haven't been to Boston in about like 10 years and haven't been to the seaport, completely different place than it's, it's ever been. And now Selfie is incredibly expensive, too. I don't have to go. I haven't been there in a while. <laughs> yeah, no, it's nice. I, I bet you have a nice location over there. Great, great area. So tell us a little bit about what Mass Robotics does, though. Yeah, so we're, uh, as you mentioned, we're an independent nonprofit. We are here to support the robotics community um, and really advocate for the growth of robotics and uh, the use of them throughout any industry. Certainly, warehousing logistics is one of the biggest markets for robotics these days. So we're really active in this space. Excellent stuff, Tom. Uh, can you uh, talk to us about Mass Robotics, the, the inter- interoperability standard? Uh, what do those words yep. mean? Tell us about that. Yeah, it's, it is a mouthful. Um, so uh, what we have seen and what we've gotten feedback from some of the large customers is they're starting to deploy robots uh, at a much more rapid pace, and they're not buying all their robots from one vendor. So they're maybe buying their uh, autonomous forklift from one company, their uh, mobile robot that moves goods through the shelving systems from another company, and they're starting to realize that the robots don't talk to each other. So there's a lot of robots out there. They're not communicating. And so we decided to work on an interoperability standard that basically allows for the exchange of data from all these different platforms and the ability to understand where these robots are on your warehouse floor, what they're doing, where they're going next, and it kind of allows for rules of the road, so to speak, within a warehouse. So you can uh, make sure that not all the robots go to one location and get jammed up at, uh, or anything like that. No, it makes total sense. It's like, you know, I have like a Roomba at home, but then if I went, it's Prime Day today. If I went and then bought like a, a shark vacuum too, right? My Roomba app's going to control the Roomba. The shark vacuum for the next upstairs floor is going to control its own thing. It'd be a, a big old pain in the butt. Unless oh my they gosh. Could disaster at the Dooner household. It would be a disaster at the Dooner household. <laughs> yes, but, so t- why is this a crucial milestone though? And how long did it take to get here? Because it's one of those things that if you just glance over it, you go, okay, what's the big deal? But to me, this seems like a pretty huge deal in moving this industry forward. Yeah, so we started the effort about a year and a half ago, um, and we got a number of different uh, of uh, suppliers, vendors of these robots together to talk about it. And and you know, initially there was a little bit of hesitancy about why should I share my data and and concern about you know what is the standard going to do. But eventually, uh, especially after some of the customers started talking about the need, uh, they really joined in and, and developed the standard. Um, you know, a lot of these robots are very different in both their capabilities, their physical size, their payload capacity, their battery life. Um, and so really, we wanted to kind of set a minimum standard of information that would be exchanged uh, and then work from there to continue to improve this type of standard. Yeah, I would think that, uh, you know, trying to get these people together right at the beginning, they're very concerned about their IP, right? Yeah. They don't want to give up that stuff. It's a highly competitive space, yeah. obviously. As you, and that's, probably, that, that's part of the need for what you guys are doing is the highly competitive nature of it, right? Yeah. It's, it's something everybody's jumping yeah. into. It's a definite need. We're moving forward there. But the, you're successful in getting this collaboration going. You've got to be really excited about this, um, you, you know, to have all these new companies that are in there that are getting with this, right? I mean, the momentum is flowing, yeah? Yep. Yeah. 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 And really, the, the companies are growing tremendously fast. I, I mean, if you just follow this this particular market that we're focused on, the AMR, what we call AMR, Autonomous Mobile Robot, um, you know, Locus uh, was one of the early unicorns in this space. One of the other companies is looking at a SPAC. Um, you know, one company was acquired. Uh, Six Rivers was acquired by Shopify. Uh, so we're really seeing a ton of growth. We see that continuing. I think this automation within the warehouse and logistics is just going to continue to grow like crazy. 
you know, Massachusetts and Boston has gotten wicked good at robots over these past few years. Yeah, yep. iRobot's out there, Six Rivers out there, Mass Robotics yep. is out there, Vecna is out there. Um, a couple that Amazon has purchased too, things like Soft Robotics, right? The uh, the grabbers and the pick yeah. and packers are out there. Yeah. How did how yeah. did the Commonwealth become such a hotbed for robots? I think um, early on we had some of the key uh, companies. Obviously, iRobot has been in the market for a long time. You mentioned the Roomba, and, and they've been doing great things on the consumer side. Um, there was a company called Kiva that was uh, located in Boston early on that Amazon is first acquisition to get into the space. And a number of companies have spun out of that, or people have left uh, and, and started these new companies. So uh, it's a great ecosystem. There's a ton of support. There's a lot of resources in the area. Um, and so we're seeing a number of companies, you mentioned the, the picking. I think mobile manipulation is really the next thing, having these robots being able to run down the aisle, pick up your order for you, all kind of autonomously. Um, and we have a number of companies that are working on that. So it's a pretty exciting area to be uh, involved in. It's really cool. So, Tom, uh, can you talk a little bit about the members that are there and how a little peek under the hood of how this collaboration is working? When I hear it, I think, okay, how's this forklift going to tell uh, this picker that I'm coming to get this case and I need to bring this case, right? That type of stuff. Is that what we're talking yep. about? Or can you give us a little peek yep. under the hood of who the members no, are and that's how they're exactly working? Right. Yeah. So, what we're talking about is exactly what you just mentioned the idea that we're going to take uh, certain information from, let's say, the picking robot. Uh, and make that available, make that uh, available through a number of communications protocols so that uh, any other software can look at that and understand where that robot's going, what it's going to do next. And so maybe it's going to move uh, devices that a forklift needs to pick up. It can communicate that to the forklift. The forklift can understand when that picking robot has done its task. Um, and so it will arrive at the right time. So that type of thing. And um, it's, uh, there's going to be a lot of what we call fleet management, task management uh, involved. So you're going to see a lot of companies developing uh, large integrated software that can understand the, all of these different robots and their capabilities and kind of be like that traffic manager. Yeah, and when you look at some of these names, I mean, for, for some of them are not household names yet, unless you follow this industry. Mm -hmm. But like, for example, Vecna, yep. they're doing those forklifts that you mentioned. They have the autonomous yeah. forklifts. You talk about yep. Six River. They have Chuck. They have their autonomous oh, car. Oh, is that, that the Chuck goes, guys? Yeah, that's okay, the Chuck that's that goes cool. around with yep. the pickers and packers. So that's yeah. a completely different system than a forklift, right? And then you have Locus, which does their own thing. So when you're talking about a modern warehouse, how many different moving parts are we talking about now when you're looking at automation? It sounds like you at least have two, three, maybe five, six different different intermediaries that could be in there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, it's still early days in this, but, you know, one of the things you didn't mention was this uh, robotic floor cleaning. Um, and now we're seeing uh, robotic disinfectors. So, you know, one of the, <laughs> the things that has come out of COVID, so to speak, are these robots that have UV lights that autonomously move throughout a warehouse or, or area to ensure that everything's disinfecting. Um, so now you have a lot of different types of platforms, and I think that number is going to continue to grow. That's crazy. So according to Logistics IQ, the global AMR and automated guided vehicle market is expected to grow or to reach $14 billion by 2026. It's like tomorrow almost, yeah, right? With more than 270 vendors leading the manufacturing and logistics space. Can you talk about that growth and where you're seeing the biggest gains there? Is, is it the infectors? Uh, uh, disinfectors? Yeah. Uh, disinfectors with the UV or what? I mean, I can... I <laughs> know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think the biggest the biggest growth is certainly in um, the warehouse robots that are used to help picking and 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 packaging of yeah. goods, and certainly you know a lot of that is is Amazon 
um, and their investment in Amazon Robotics um, and automating their warehouses. I think it's taken a number of years, but a lot of these uh, these fulfillment centers, distribution centers, have realized that they need to use robots to remain competitive. They can't handle these packages the way they traditionally have. They have, can't use people with carts pushing carts and individual picking items and 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 getting them to pack out areas. They need to use robots to make that more efficient. And so we've hit that tipping point probably about a, a year or so ago. So before it was, you know, a lot of, oh, is this really any good? Should we use these robots to now, oh my God, we need them. Let's start looking at who's supplying them. What can we do to integrate them into our warehouses? You know, people, a lot of times, especially, you know, drivers who listen to the show, they get they get a little anxious about autonomous trucking. Yeah, and yeah. one of the things that we point to and look to, though, is you got to look at the easiest areas to automate first, which would seemingly be things like trains, which are on rails, and then warehouses, which are controlled environments, yeah, right? Yeah, they're static environments, usually. You would yeah. Think, yeah. So what is the right. state of yeah. autonomy within warehouses? What are you seeing out of your group developments? I mean, they just seem to keep getting better as each year goes on. Yeah, it's really around optimization. Um, so using a lot of, obviously, AI to both understand the capabilities of the robot, but but understand the workflow and moving them in the most efficient manner through the warehouse. Um, the other thing that we're seeing a lot of is, as I mentioned a little bit, this mobile picking and packing, but uh, palletizing, depalletizing with robots, the ability to unpack a truck um, using these robot uh, systems all autonomously. Um, that's really coming along. We're starting to see some interesting developments there. Um, and I think that's going to continue to be a, an exciting area to follow. So, Tom, I got, I got a question yeah. for Tom. Uh, Tom, real quick. So yeah. when we're talking about these things here, it's obvious linking these things within the warehouse, right, and getting everybody uh, talking together, the robots or, or the, 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 yeah. the forklifts talking with the pick and pack and so on and so forth. Are you working on and do you see the importance there that would be linking this to not only just, you know, your, your WMS and your inventory, obviously, of what's going on there, but getting out into the CRM and the visibility and transparency to customers and additional vendors that you're supplying out of this warehouse, et cetera. Is that part of the yep. scheme as well with Mass Robotics? Yeah, so we're not actually getting involved in that part, but I absolutely see companies developing software that looks further ahead and starts to do, as I mentioned, this better projection of understanding what orders are coming so that they can deploy these robots in, in a much more efficient manner. Um, I think that's an area that it's it's harder to do. It's harder to understand that, uh, that flow of goods and products. Mm. Um, but as people start to develop these systems, the AI in, in, in that, um, I think it'll allow for you to use different solutions, right? Not not every warehouse robot is ideal for every application, but if you mm -hmm. can understand more of that, your product flow, you can use, you know, the forklifts the, all the way down to small single item movers. Um, and I think that'll help things get much more efficient. Now you found uh, you found a guinea pig, right? A FedEx facility <laughs> is going to yep. be piloting some of these systems. They're letting a number of different companies in there, and they're seeing how this all works together. How did that get set up, and, and what's the plan moving forward? Yeah, so uh, we're really excited about that. There's um, there's a group called uh, the Arm Institute, which is the Advanced Robotics Manufacturing Institute, um, and they're a federally funded institute in Pittsburgh, and they they've provided a grant to uh, FedEx and a number of other companies to look at this idea and tackling this challenge of how do I integrate uh, multiple platforms in a warehouse? So FedEx is taking the lead and they're gonna do this test down in their uh, one of their Memphis facilities this fall. 
Um, they're going to be using Vecna robots uh, as an example. Waypoint, I believe, is another company that they're using. So they'll be using a number of different vendors of these AMRs, and they'll be looking to integrate them and, and get them to operate together. Um, they're also working with Siemens. Siemens is kind of doing that overarching uh, software to manage the traffic a little bit. Uh, so it's a great test of uh, whether this uh, standard will allow the proper exchange of data. Uh, and so we're looking forward to seeing the results. So, t- Tom, will we see a drastic reduction in, in the uh, human employment within the warehouses? And if so, uh, you know, what's the time frame for that? I mean, is it like next week or tomorrow? Do I need to be looking for another job if I'm working in a warehouse? <laughs> No. Uh, so I think one of the things we're seeing, and, you know, Amazon's got some amazing results on they've, they've deployed, what, 350,000 of their mobile robots, and, and they've grown during that time. They've grown their employment tremendously. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we're seeing is that humans can do certain things really well. Robots can do certain things really well. Um, the ability for the robots and humans to work together is the key. And I think as people are going to continuing to buy through e-commerce, um, you're going to continue to see the need for workers, um, they'll just be doing different tasks. Uh, They won't be doing the repetitive tasks as much, and hopefully they'll be alleviating some of the lifting and heavy-duty tasks. I think those are things robots will do really well, and I think there'll be certain tasks around just figuring out orders and packing them and uh, ensuring that the right product gets the right person. Humans are still going to be involved in those. Wow. So it, it, a lot of exciting things have to be going on there, right? And I know a lot of people want to be involved with mass robotics. What are some of the, the really cool yeah. ideas you're, you're hearing talked about this summer? Uh, so I think uh, there's so much going on. Uh, I, I think really around this idea of using integrating AI and inspection to uh, in, improve picking, that's one of the areas that we see uh, a lot of effort going into. Um, different grippers. You know, one of the things that's amazing, and I, and I share this a lot, is, you know, if, if you walked into a store, you could pick up a bowling ball and an egg with your same hand. There's no robot that can do that today, right? Mm-hmm. What, what could pick up a bowling ball would crush an egg. Um, and I think there's a lot of efforts to develop these, what we call grippers or end effectors, to be able to pick up a variety of tasks much more efficiently uh, now that they, than they do today. Um, and that's an area that we're going to see huge improvements in. Yeah, that's interesting. We had somebody on before who said, yeah, you can use a robot to pick up a gallon of milk, but it'll cost you $20,000 to pick up that one gallon of milk, right? It's kind of ridiculous. So what, what is the most common robots that are out there right now already in use, and where's it going? What's the trend? What's the future? What's the crazy future of the robotics in these warehouses? So I think the, the, the AMRs for goods movement, that's the number one type of product. Uh, I think Locust just announced, Locust Robotics, that um, their uh, partnership with DHL has expanded. They were going to do 1,000 units. They're going up to 2,000 units. Um, and so you just see the numbers like that at these facilities. Uh, they're, they're growing tremendously. Beautiful. You know, Excellent. Excellent so stuff. my son, my son Ronan, he, um, yeah. he always tells me, I ask him, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he goes, mm-hmm. I want a big... I want to build big, giant robots. Oh, cool. Like mechas, like those Gundam mechas, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, now, yeah. Now, if he wants to get really, really nervous, he's six years old, what, what, what trajectory should I put him on right now? I've got him doing the Legos. We built that Ghostbusters Ecto-1. Oh, yep. He's built the Death Star. Yep. He's getting really into that stuff. Where, what direction do I put him in? Yeah, no, I think that's a great start, keeping up on the Legos and really getting into the first program. If, if you haven't followed that, um, there's, uh, the first program runs uh, a number of different challenges for students. Uh, that they have teams that build uh, these robots for different things. 
the high school league is huge. There's thousands of teams that that participate in kind of a tournament. And at the end of the year, I should say it's usually an April May time frame. Uh, they have a massive competition, uh, and they they have uh, winners that uh, that have built these robots that can do amazing things. So I'd encourage them to join a first team uh, and to stay involved in in the types of things that he's already getting involved in. Now, Tom, this is a – I don't even have to spin the wheel for this. This is my own stupid question. It's, no, uh, I, I like this okay. question, actually. Okay. I think well, it goes okay. in short, so Short Circuit's <laughs> one of my favorite movies of all time. And Short Circuit 2, not bad either. But in Short Circuit 2, Johnny Five is granted citizenship. Do you think that AI will ever develop to the point that robots are granted rights? I know this sounds kind of silly, but at the same time, something to consider. Yeah, it's it, you know people ask that type of question. I think based on the project the trajectory of where we're seeing robots go, um, you know, did you watch iRobot? That's one of my favorite movies. Yeah, uh, sure. You know, it talks a lot about okay, what's going to happen when robots can really think for themselves and make decisions and so forth. We're years and years away from that, so we're nowhere close. Uh, I think this is a a topic that will be greatly discussed for many years. That that's true, but we're not so far from interaction. I mean, we already have interaction between humans and robots. Yeah. Okay. So, where has there ever been? And it can't be that far off between where there's an argument over who was at fault. Oh, you mean like liability between? <laughs> yeah, a liability between. And has there been? You know, is that a consideration there? I mean, when you're when you're developing these things and you have all this collaboration between there, is that aspect of the interaction between humans not just who can do what better, but where does the legality overlap in some of these in some of these issues? Yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting question. Uh, collaborative robots, which you mentioned, is a growing area, and that's really just a, a broad term for uh, human-safe robots, robots that can uh, interoperate around humans. And um, there have been some some uh, accidents, uh, and I know that especially in the EU, they're they're doing a lot of work around. Okay, where does that that boundary lie between um, you know who is responsible, the person who deployed the robot, the person who wrote the AI that in theory, makes it safe around humans. Um, I, those issues are going to be need to be worked out as humans work much more closely with these robots, and the robots are much more capable. Um, so, yes, it's an interesting topic. Now, Tom, before we let you go, people who want to get involved with Mass Robotics and keep abreast of all the cool stuff that you guys are up to, where should we send them to? Yeah, so our uh, website is massrobotics.org. Um, if, if you're interested in AMR standards, there's a tab there. You can go. There's a, a feedback form, and, and uh, we're happy to keep you in the loop on that. Um, we, there's a lot more that we do beyond just AMR standards, um, and we support robotics companies in many ways. So um, sign up for our newsletter and stay abreast of all interesting robotics information that's happening. Tom, thank you so much. We appreciate your time today. Great. Thanks for having me. Wow. Good stuff. Now, we were also supposed it. to have Vecna. We were going to talk. We were going to talk to, uh, to a guest from there, the CEO of Vecna Robotics. He, um, we're having a little technical difficulties on the back end, so we're yeah. going to do a little big deal, little deal All right, right cool. now. We'll see if we can get some of these other guests do back up. Big deal. <laughs> Is that a big deal or a little deal? Yeah. When you can't bring in the guests. Big deal. That is a big Let deal. Me get that is a big deal. Yes. It is. He's okay. a great guest. Hey, first one for He was a great guest. You know, there, I had so much interest in robots. And I oh, got, we I know. I mean, talked to him the whole time. We just could have kept him up. Kept I can't wait until we can do more on-sites. Oh, yeah, with yeah. the robotics? Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I want to wear the exoskeleton robotics. Who yeah. is that? Remember that? That was Going down to Hylion. 
All right, big deal, little deal. And then we'll see if we can get some guests after it. If not, it might be an early show for you guys. So we'll see where we're at. Uh, okay, 42, right. big deal, little deal. 42,000 pounds of pistachios were stolen by a trucking company or owner um, in a case that is just the latest in a heist of pistachio nuts in Central California, wow. where the nuts are a uh, $5.2 billion economic engine tied to more than 47,000 jobs. That's almost as many pounds of nuts that they stole. Each job for a nut. 42,000 pounds of nuts, 47,000 jobs. Wow. That's according no to Washington Post. Big deal, little deal. Another big pistachio <laughs> ice. Full truckload of pistachios. Well, I mean, um, $5.2 billion economic engine that has these pistachios and walnuts and so on being stolen. This is the second time we reported this in less than a year. Yeah. So it's getting to be a bigger deal, I guess. I think one of the big deals in this thing is that it seems that the person who stole this? 34-year-old. Like, so what happened is there's 34-year-old Alberto yes. Montemayor of Montemayor Trucking, right? Yeah. He was arrested it. in Tulare County. Uh, is this gentleman right here? Yeah, there he is. What, what happened? It's kind of a weird well, story. I, from what I can tell from here is they picked up the truck from the pistachio shipper on his truck, Montemayor Trucking, and moved it like next door to another parking lot. And then they started like repackaging these nuts into smaller bags and selling them. Yeah. I envision a you know a sign spray paint that says, "Hey, uh, stop by for some California pistachios," <laughs> and he was selling them next door. And they, anyways, they started looking for these things, and and uh, you know with the help of the uh, the uh, sheriff's department there, and uh, where is it? Tulare County Sheriff's Department. Their ag uh, uh, detectives found these guys. And, yeah, and so they have forty two thousand so. in a full truckload. Yeah. They're putting them in smaller bags yeah. to sell in a street corner. So I'm not sure if they're using counterfeit branding, but this is another <laughs> situation with technology, right? With te Technology. So what's been happening in these, and this was like as low sophisticated as you can get. I think that yeah. this guy picked up the load and he just like drove across the he street. He just drove across the didn't street. Didn't even try to go into hiding. No. Um, in other situations, they've forged carrier names, forged carrier right. numbers and those kind of things. These pistachio suppliers are getting smarter about it. Now, you know what? Daniel is in. He's, he's back into our system. So let's oh, bring okay, Daniel good. up now. We'll get, a little, we'll get a little more insight from him now that we've had the context and the table set for us by Mass Robotics. Daniel, how's it going? Oh, he doesn't have yes. any volume. There we oh, go. There we are. All right. We go. Are you are you right over there in Waltham? That's right. Yep. I've I've been out in your way. So tell us a little. We we were talking about this thing with Mass Robotics. So companies, your products can talk to products from other robot companies, and the, ultimately the customer, who, as I think you guys have all realized, they're going to have a warehouse. Is going to need multiple different types of robots in it, but they're going to need yeah. some way to communicate. Tell us a little bit about, from your perspective, though, why this is really good for robotics and, and warehouse robotics. Well, you know, if you think about um, cell phones or computers, uh, you know, early on they didn't talk to each other and you had to go buy something from one company or something from another company and they just, um, you know, didn't, didn't interact at all. Of course, today we have apps that you can download. You have software that can run on any computer, no matter who you buy it from. And it's kind of the same idea. If we want the idea of robotics and automation to really move forward, there has to be the ability to plug and play solutions from different companies. Um, so it's a really exciting step forward for the industry. And, uh, you know, it's really all about empowering people, helping people to focus on the jobs that they're excited about, that they really want to do and let robots do the, the boring, dirty, dangerous and dull stuff. Yeah, the stuff that the injury laden stuff, the tedious type of stuff. So, yeah, OK, we've got Vecna up here. Can you talk a little bit about the robots that you guys bring to it? Yeah, so we are the world leader in driverless forklifts. Uh, our our specialty is what we would call high-capacity AMR. Um, we're able to move uh, pallets or other large uh, non-conveyables. Here you're seeing one of our tuggers in a facility. 
Um, and, and the idea is that this allows the human workers to focus more on value added tasks. You know, driving from one side to the other side of a warehouse uh, is not really that interesting. And it's actually where a lot of the accidents happen because people are thinking about the game or they're thinking about what they're going to do when they get home. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not really um, focused on the job. Why? Because that job's not interesting. And so allowing them to focus on the interesting parts of the jobs is good for everyone. Is there any uh, technophobia when you bring these automated uh, forklifts in there? Are, and do they reduce accidents? You mentioned the safety. And I think like, initially, you know, humans, we get a little scared of new yeah. stuff. And you think maybe, um, mm -hmm. you know, Christine, the forklift is going to, you know, take a mind of its own and, and run you over. But <laughs> um, probably not, right? I imagine these might be quite a bit safer. Yeah. Well, that's absolutely true. The, you know, forklift accidents are one of OSHA's top, um, uh, you know, top sources of industrial accidents and injuries. And, uh, you know, it's just for the exact reasons I was mentioning. Um, when you install these, uh, it really does significantly reduce um, damage to equipment, damage to facilities, injuries with workers. Um, it's a win-win-win from that perspective. Um, you know, because the robots, you know, they're not really uh, worried about anything other than doing exactly what they're told. So they they um, uh, don't go faster than they're supposed to. They uh, are very, very safe. They're always the courteous, most courteous drivers on the road, if you will. <laughs> so, that, that, um, and that's you know, great... humans are amazing. No, I was going to say, that's just a great point there, that they, they can't just decide to do something else, right? I mean, yeah. they're, they're limited on what they can do. But when, so when you're bringing these and interacting with people and they bring them into the warehouse for the first time, is, that, is there like a, uh, yeah. a sensitivity training, for last, lack of a better word, where you're building this trust that the workers that are out there are going to trust yeah. this thing to be out there and, and accept it? Yeah, it's a really great point, and it's super important. As a matter of fact, I think the number one factor in success around deploying this type of technology is exactly what you're saying. You need to win over the hearts and minds of the, of the workers on the floor. Um, and there's a lot of different factors that go into that. First of all is this fear factor that you mentioned. Uh, you know, people are worried about robots taking their jobs. And, you know, maybe that's mostly a problem created by Hollywood. My light going off here. But, um, you know, the, the reality is that there you when go. you start talking about people's jobs, it's a super sensitive topic. The yeah. fact of the matter is that when you when you actually put a person in contact with this type of equipment, it very quickly changes from fear to excitement. I'll, I'll just tell you one quick story. We were deploying these robots in a large shipping facility and and uh, was doing this uh, sort of town hall where you know a particular ship was getting a first introduction to the robots, and one of the workers said, "Okay." robots are coming in so we're all going to get pink slips um you know and uh the manager there said no as a matter of fact no one's getting pink slips the reason that we're bringing these robots in is to make your job better so that we can retain you we want to keep you on the job but it's really hard right now many of these facilities have over 300 percent turnover mm. that means every single year on average they're replacing their staff three times yeah, um, which is of course not good for anybody. No, no, we have that in trucking so, where we have a hundred. We, I mean, we're fully familiar with hundred percent yeah. turnover year, hundred percent plus, depending on yeah. on the yeah. year. It, it never gets really below ninety five percent, and it's it's tough. And you know, you have the same people sort of complaining about these enhancements that are coming in, yeah. but 
uh, it's the way it goes. You, you, you mentioned the excitement, though, and the inspiration. We talked to Tom about it, about how, you know, my son being inspired by robots. And I saw on LinkedIn you put a post up of the summer intern group that you've brought in, big summer intern class. What are students, you know, what yeah. is their opinion of robots in this space and the growth in it? Well, you know, I think um, this is one of the areas that just has so much promise for the future. One of the things that really, I think, attracts people to our company is this idea that people are what matter. We're all about trying to do the right thing for people, empowering people, making making technology that helps people. Um, and uh, that, that that's something that's really important to this generation. And so I think when you're able to couple those things, um, it, it really helps uh, you know, people aren't as excited these days about just making money. Um, anyone can just make money, but people really want to make the world a better place. And so they're super excited to come to the team. And we just have loads of fun here. Um, you know, it's a really exciting playground, if you will. So that's a big yeah. part of it. But we really need to do a better job, at least in this country, on inspiring young people to pursue, you know, challenging engineering um, uh, jobs. We're falling way behind in the world. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, you, you talked about the acceptance and the excitement and the CEO or the, the shift manager they're talking about with the people with the introduction of the of the robot that we were doing this to try and retain you. Uh, but through through, uh, you know, will this reduce the amount of labor that is actually in the warehouses or or eventually because through attrition, you're going to lose some of those people anyways. Right. So will it replace yeah. those? Will there be a reduction for the need of that humans that are in there and those that are there? Are they retrained? Are, are we looking at, at that type of thing? Just it changes the, the positions that they happen to be in? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and I think that probably part of the problem when we talk about this topic is that people assume that it's what I would call a zero-sum game, right? If, if a robot does some work, then that means less work for people. Mm -hmm. And that is, that's the fundamentally flawed premise. Um, what happens is when you bring in automation, it allows us to do more. It allows us to be more competitive, which creates more work for everybody. And so those companies that invest in automation will hire more people. And that trend has been unambiguous. Um, uh, you know, you can look at all kinds of studies. And when, when automation is effectively employed, that company hires more humans. Um, so it, it's not super intuitive perhaps to a, a lay person why that happens, you know, oh, a robot's taking a job, so there's not a job for a human. But in practice, it's just not the way it works. Robots working with humans is the key to success for everybody. Mm -hmm. Well, we love Excellent. it. Hey, we got to have you back on. We got to have you talk a little bit more about Vecna and yourself. I know you hold like you hold like 100 patents. <laughs> so there's a big, exciting story there. Unfortunately, we're, we're out of time. We got to get you to play that guitar. Yeah, I was going to say, you has got to come on and uh, <laughs> play that guitar. No, too. you don't want me to play the guitar. Believe me. <laughs> in the meantime, in the meantime, people who want to learn more about what's going on with uh, with your involvement with Mass Robotics, where should we send them to? Yeah, so um, reaching out to me and LinkedIn is probably one of the best. Uh, you know, I, I sort of wear these dual hats. I'm really trying to help the industry move forward as a whole. Um, and uh, there's a lot of great things that people can do to, uh, to um, you know, make that happen. So I'm happy to help out in any way I can. Beautiful. Well, hey, thank you Excellent so much. Stuff. Thanks for joining us on the show today. We really appreciate it and keep doing uh, this awesome work. Awesome. A lot of fun. Thanks, guys. Take care. Good stuff. You know, I... 
I, I've, I grew up in the 80s, I'm a child of the 80s, and, and we were promised this robot future that is finally coming to fruition and we're seeing now. It took yeah. a little while to get here, you know? It did, it did. I'm still waiting on my flying car. But... Yeah, well, that's like, that, that was like the 1950s aesthetic, right? Yeah, it was. It right, really again, was. <laughs> again, we'd like to thank our friends at Legend Transportation for sponsoring today's episode. Legend partners with strategic customers while providing seamless solutions for its drivers and its West Regional's premier freight transportation company. Learn more at Tell em, Dude. Go to newlegendinc.com immediately. Immediately after the show. Now, Bart Ronan, he's the CEO of Trucks. His last name is the same as uh, my son's first name we were talking about. There you Trucks go. Trucks is, uh, you know, the leader in dump truck technology, and they're taking a dump on the olden ways of, of dump trucks. <laughs> I and, love it. And bringing it up. Let's bring him up. Bart, how's it going? It's going well. Thanks for that intro. That's quite an intro. <laughs> it's good seeing you again. Well, you know, I always get extra, because we're staying in Boston, right? You're over there, too. <laughs> I am, yeah, a little bit north of Boston, uh, town of Swampskit, but uh, in the same general area. Well, okay, so the end of May, yeah. though, right? You announced you were named as a qualified e-ticketing software product by our own state here, Tennessee Department of Transportation. What does that mean for uh, for dump truck, dump truck tech, to, uh, dump truck tech, and e-ticketing? Yeah, thanks for asking. So it's uh, we're super excited about it. Uh, Tennessee has actually been at the forefront of driving adoption for what we term e-ticketing. But, you know, the dump truck, uh, in the dump truck space, um, you know, it's been just plagued by a lot of manual processes and paper-based processes that, as you can imagine, are quite inefficient. I mean, you can just envision, you know, a, a dump truck driver pulling up to scale house, getting a, a, a paper ticket, driving that ticket to the site, handing that ticket to the site foreman, you know, that ticket then going off to, you know, back office for reconciliation and payment, and then over to the end customer of the Department of Transportation. All along the way, people writing, you know, notes and different information on this manual physical ticket, which at the end of the day gets re-digitized. So it starts as a digital representation in, in a, <laughs> you know, material producer's system, becomes a physical representation, and then gets re-digitized. So the whole system is completely backward, inefficient. Um, and, you know, Tennessee and a few other states have been very forward thinking in terms of, you know, driving e-ticketing adoption. And uh, we're really happy to partner with them and help to drive that. And, you know, what that means is that all this data now is, you know, transferred electronically. It gives wonderful visibility in terms of, you know, real-time tracking of where, where haulers are, visibility and terms of communication. It also provides uh, a lot of cost savings because you no longer have to, you know, chase these tickets around, sort them, audit them, et cetera. And it provides much more accurate information as well. So it's a, it's a win-win all around. We're pretty excited to be part of it. Yeah. It's about time they adopted this, right? There must've been some stand. What are the standards that you had to overcome in order to make that happen? Yeah. You know, so it's, it's evolving, right? Each state is different, but it, it's pretty basic in terms of the, the information that needs to be conveyed, um, you know, in terms of, you know, what are the materials? We're not, you know, it's nothing too extraordinary. What are the materials? What's the delivery time? Um, you know, what's the amount of the order, et cetera, and just have regular, you know, standard um, mechanism for batch delivery at the end of the day. But, you know, construction logistics, it's hard following up the robotics guys, I have to say, because that's a pretty exciting world. So, yeah. But I, but construction logistics is uh, is pretty cool as well. Construction's a, a huge industry, right? It's a trillion dollar industry in the United States, and it's among the least penetrated for software and technology. I think 
the benchmark that I use is uh, from uh, McKinsey's Global Institute. They, they cite that 1% of OPEX in construction is spent on technology um, versus other industries such as financial services and manufacturing are up around 15%. And that lack of investment has resulted in a whole host of inefficiencies and waste uh, one of which I think is so clearly manifested in this e-ticketing need. So it's it's pretty cool to be part of uh, driving efficiencies in that solution. There's definitely some cool construction tech, though. Uh, about a month ago, a bank down the street from us here, right on um, Broad Street in Chattanooga, first 3D printed, I think, bank in America. Yeah, was Tennessee just, Valley Credit. Tennessee yeah. Valley Credit, first yeah, 3D wow. printed bank. <clears throat> pretty, so yep. but, but one thing that came up in this mass robotics thing, and the whole point of that segment was that they were like, look, we are trying to build out tech for, for robots, but we are coming up at a, at a bottleneck. And that is that when all of us go out to sell, we all have the same problem. People mm. are like, I don't want 30 different systems in here that don't work together. Yeah, exactly. So all these companies have to put aside their, their fear of losing IP and of competition, all of those things, to understand that the greater good is ultimately that you can't be like a completely walled garden. No. You have to bring that in. Is In construction tech and, and what you're seeing in terms of getting data in construction, is it still a little bit closed off or is it becoming easier? No, I think that's a very fair observation. Um, we're fortunate at trucks in that I think we're a leader. So we've driven the most adoption uh, we've put more than 4 million loads through the platform and have uh, nearly 30,000 drivers on the platform. Um, so that has helped to get the critical mass. But I think it's a very fair observation is this walled garden concept. But I think, you know, what is we see driving adoption is the expectations from the end customer, right? Um, you know, in this modern era, you know, you're used to the Amazon level of delivery experience. You know, my son has you know, for, for a while was really into plastic dinosaurs. And when the plastic dinosaur from China arrived on my doorstep here in Swampskit, I would get a notification on my mobile phone and I knew it was at the doorstep and ready to go. And I knew when it arrived. And if you think about the analog and construction where say, you know, have a huge paving job, you know, redoing an interstate highway and you've had zero visibility into where your materials are. Right. And to the point where you will literally speed up and slow down an expensive paving machine and try to keep your crew uh, active and you know uh, producing based on what you see coming over the horizon for materials is just completely nuts when you're used to having the Domino's Pizza or Amazon delivery experience, and that is then what's you know evolving into construction. I think, and the guys that are running the foreman and the DOTs are saying, listen, you know, there's no reason I shouldn't have great visibility into where my materials are for my planning purposes, etc. And then that really unlocks a whole world of data and, you know, a wonder, you know, wonderful world of ways that you can utilize this information to improve your operations. And so there's no there's no putting that genie back in the bottle. No, there isn't. It's interesting when you jump into a into an industry that how how intricate and interesting it actually is there. Sure. Now, you, you guys just rebranded. Um, did you have any input on that? What was your input on the new rebranding and what's the acceptance been of that? Yeah, uh, well, yeah, so we had rebranding and we actually also uh, had a new product launch. Um, oh, awesome. So my, yeah, so my input on the rebranding, I tried to minimize that as much as I could. <laughs> uh, my aesthetic talents are pretty limited, uh, but I think they, the team did a wonderful job on that. And I think it's really exciting to position us and kind of convey the ethos of trucks and how we're a very practical, workable, proven technology. So really excited about that. And then uh, we also had a significant product launch where we now have, uh, you know, fully defined our product suite. So we have uh, Trucks Drive, which is the app that all of our drivers are on to actually accept work. 
We have uh, Trucks Find, which is our active marketplace where both you know consumers and suppliers of dump truck services can uh, match and and connect. And then we have uh, two flavors of like a logistics management ERP type system: Trucks Manage and Trucks Deliver. Deliver being for more of the large material producer uh, market with integration. So so far, it's been really really well received. Uh, some of it has been driven by you know feedback from the market and voice of the customer and understanding how our you know, our customers and our forward thinking, you know, early adopters are utilizing the products. So we've incorporated that as well. So really exciting. What's the, but what is the hardest part of uh, being in your position at a dump truck tech startup? Yeah, you know, uh, I love the software business because software is all about people, right? So it's like, I think biggest challenge is finding, retaining, recruiting, and keeping the best people in the business. And I think we do a good job of that. Um, so that's a big challenge. And then I think it's, um, you know, there's a lot of inertia in this industry. You know, we deal with a lot of multi-generational family-owned businesses, folks that are very skeptical of technology and have, you know, are set in their ways. And when you implement a solution like trucks, it's, you know, it's a lot of change management. It's not only, you know, really cool tech, which we definitely have, but there's changes to process and the way you do things and that can sometimes be a challenge to kind of help people get over that learning curve. Yeah, we, we know the feel over here in trucking. Well, before we let you go, Michael's going to spin that oh, yeah. wheel. Spin the wheel, make the deal. Let's see what it lands it on. I was, yeah, I, I, was trying to read, I was trying to read while I was in the waiting room to give myself a heads up. It's my handwriting. You never will be able to. Be the Rosetta Stone to decode that for thing. for simulation purposes only. <laughs> Do you believe that we are living in a simulation? Uh, I definitely do not believe we're <laughs> I should have. <laughs> wait a minute. I didn't read that. Is it true? Is right. the rumor true that you believe this? <laughs> you don't believe that we're living in a simulation. Yeah. 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 Well, if we are, you know, maybe make the Pats better next season. Next season. Tom Brady yeah, did hey, pretty well. Though. I'm, I'm pretty excited about this quarterback coming up from Alabama. So. Hey, were you rooting for, were you rooting for, were you rooting for Tommy in the Super Bowl though? I was. Of course, big, of course, big Tom Brady fan. The entire state was. He's All of New England was. Tom uh, it, would take, it would take a lot more than a, a brief departure for him to, to lose my allegiance. Well, Bart, there thank you, you for your time today. People who want to check out this platform, there's definitely a lot of overlap between what's going on in your space and what goes on in the greater world of logistics. People who are interested, where should I send them to? Yeah, to our website is probably the best place to go. Uh, Trucksnow, T-R-U-X-N-O-W.com. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot, guys. Right Peace. All right, and now, 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 speaking of innovation, this is like the innovation hour. Everyone here doing something really it cool. It is the innovation hour. Now we got Derek Powell. He's the president of Velocity. Velocity has some really cool stuff. They're not in Boston, though. We got to leave, we got to leave Boston. We got to go to Kansas City. Oh, okay. All right. Now, who do you think That's had acceptable? A, yeah. What do you think it was harder to be last year, a Patriots fan or a Chiefs fan? Ooh. Derek. Oh. I Sadly, gentlemen, I hate to admit. <laughs> I hate to admit, gentlemen, it was a rough year to be a Chiefs fan, but we'll come back this year. Hang in there. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, you got a great fan base. You brought it home. You got a great future ahead of you. You know, Velocity is pretty cool. Introduce uh, yourself and the company, though, for anyone who hasn't uh, heard of it before. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we've been around 27 years. Uh, in short, we help trucking companies in the transportation industry at large figure out how to leverage and implement technology. Uh, think of us like a bridge between cool technology providers and the end user customers in the transportation industry. As the technology providers are trying to figure out the fit and finish of a solution that gets applied in a truck, a trailer, a container, or a warehouse, 
Uh, they're going through that journey, and the end user is trying to figure out how to leverage that to get a return on investment. We bridge the gap between those two with our services to help make it happen. I'll tell you something about Derek, too. Unlike yeah. Tom Brady, he has been with the same team for many, many years, almost like a, a unicorn these days. I think you've been your entire career with Velocity, right? I started when I was 12, and I've been here 27 years. Yes. 12 years old. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about this innovation lab. It's pretty cool. And we went over to Boston. We were talking about this robot innovation, which is a really cool conversation. Yeah. But what are you looking at at your innovation lab? Well, it's a, it's a great tie-in, guys, because uh, we know the guys at Vecna, great company, and that's exactly what uh, what we do and here we're, who we're here to support. So, you know, if you hear Innovation Lab, you think a bunch of a bunch of engineers running around in lab coats, and that is distinctly not the Velocity Innovation Lab. Uh, if you if you imagine a lab, a playground, and uh, an old movie set from a western. That's the Velocity Innovation Lab. It's a place where you can get your hands dirty. We work alongside technology providers and end-user customers and actually figure out how to make solutions work. So it's a functional working lab, and essentially it duplicates the operation of the trucking industry that we support. So it's indoor-outdoor, it's dock doors, it's pallet racks, it's conveyors. It's the entire experience that you have to go through as an end user in the, in the transportation industry, thinking about how do you make this connected supply chain a reality. All these companies are going through a digital transformation. They're trying to figure it out. And so as we were working with partners and end customers over the last several years, it became more and more apparent to us. They were looking for an independent place where they could come low risk, uh, mitigate the interruption in business that, that happens when you test solutions out in a live working environment and to be able to do it in a more controlled setting. So we decided it was the right thing to, to do for us to invest in this solution uh, in this space. And it's been fantastic. The adoption of it's been wonderful. Uh, we're working on everything from level four autonomous trucks to uh, robot forklifts for the Vecna guys earlier, uh, smart trailer technology, private LTE networks, and a number of other things. So that was really our motivation. It was a, it was a void in the industry, and we felt like uh, we were the right guys to fill it. Excellent stuff. So, Derek, it sounds like it's, is it fair to call this kind of like an ongoing hackathon type of thing, right? And, and where do the ideas for these, these uh, collaborations come from? How, how does one get involved, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, ongoing hackathon is a great way to put it, actually. Um, so the ideas are driven some from us, uh, but more so from the industry itself, both the technology providers uh, as well as the end customers. So one thing we love about this industry, and by the way, we work uh, in a bunch of different verticals. Trucking was our first. It's it's still our largest segment and, and selfishly one of our favorites. Um, but the great thing about this industry is there's so much collaboration, and we all recognize the challenges we have. We've got significant supply chain disruptions going on right now. We have a labor shortage, not just the, the one that we're all familiar with from a driver perspective, but also now really any kind of labor. And so the industry is so collaborative. Uh, so the ideas could come from anywhere to answer your question. Uh, for us, it's, it's always an opportunity for us to, to be that bridge, connect dots for folks, 
take our learned experience over 27 years in this business and then connect dots between different solutions and players. And so when our customers come here, that's kind of the experience they get. They get to see and experience a lot of different technologies that are in use. Uh, and then they can connect the dots. They can think, okay, yeah, we have the same problem, but our environment's a little different. Maybe we need to tweak things here or there. How could we work together to figure that out? And that's I mean, that's the language we speak. We're looking to, to constantly bring in these unique use cases and solve problems. And it's, it's just a super fun business, a super fun environment right now, for sure. Yeah, Daniel Viebold, he told us from, from Vecna, he told us earlier that one of, one of the problems right now in, in this country is that innovation, there's not enough emphasis put on innovation. We're yeah. lagging behind the rest of the world. Is an innovation like this a step towards it? And do we need a whole lot more of these throughout the country? Oh, my goodness. We certainly do. Yeah, he's absolutely right. It's a step forward. Uh, there are not just us, many of us in this industry trying to do our best to, to address these questions and help move the industry forward. And, and so, yeah, so there's a, there's a significant opportunity and need to expand upon that in a number of different ways, be that, be that, uh, you know, private schooling or whatever it might be. Um, but the, it's an absolute must, you know, we're at a point in this industry where this, this, dance between automation and robotics and people causes great concern for many, great hope for others. And the reality is that that uh, this is a transition. This is a revolution industrially that we've been through before. Um, new jobs come out of old jobs that that uh, technology has has supported. Take something like teleoperations. So where you have you have robotic machines, but they may be fully robotic or semi-robotic, they may just be remotely controlled. So in a teleoperation environment, you have human beings controlling machines remotely. So the ability to be able to, from Kansas City, where I am, control a forklift and a warehouse in Chattanooga, where you guys are, uh, it's there now. Now it's super critical that you have positive, consistent connectivity, that you've mm -hmm. got ultra low latency, that you've got a solution you know will work because this has to do with safety and risk and efficiency, all the things that we're concerned about for the industry. Uh, but it's, it's absolutely here and now, and it's changing every minute. So the more we can do collectively as an industry to keep moving this forward and make it, make it known to young people that this is a super cool industry, there are many opportunities, um, and we're, we welcome the talent in. So it's a it's a super exciting time. You know, he mentioned forklifts, and on TikTok, there's these memes going around that you know, if if, a, if your guy you don't know how to drive a forklift, you know, the, the girls aren't interested. But I wonder yeah. if like, the remote counts. Like if you if you're a remote probably, operator for, yeah, of a I forklift, yeah, I would guess now it does. Probably. I guess it would. You know, what, what's exciting about these innovation labs is, and I, I know I'm biased here, but if you want to get into tech, the most exciting space where robotics, automation, all of these things are happening. To me, it's happening in supply chain. It's happening in freight tech, and you're going to see the greatest global transformation happening here within. Even if you're into sustainability, the inroad to that is right here in supply chain, is it not? It's absolutely true. Uh, so for, for an, and you guys, by the way, need to give credit to you guys, freight waves, what you guys are doing on this, uh, on this show is, is probably doing more than anything to move this perception of the industry forward. Oh, uh, but yeah, well, thank, hold on. To I'm going to give a little self cowbell for us, but thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> They did not pay me to say that, by the way. Uh, no, you guys are doing a fantastic job. It's incredible. But yeah, that, I mean, to me, this is where it's happening. 
I mean, I, I tell young people that come into our company all the time. I'm like, if you want to be on the cutting edge of innovation, this industry is where it's at. Uh, what's happening with autonomous, obviously a lot of opinions and, and angst and excitement around autonomous trucks as an example. But uh, there's some amazing stuff out there right now. I mean, we're working level four autonomy retrofits right now. I mean, this stuff is real. Now, does does that obviously there's the, the side of concern with respect to uh, careers for those who who are looking to have an industry in the in the truck driving business. Um, but I, I think this everything we're working on is is a solution, not a problem. It's a solution to an existing problem and opens up additional opportunities for, for those who want to be in the industry. So I think it's all upside. It's all super exciting. Um, and the collaboration in the industry from, from the folks that you guys have on is, uh, is evidence of that. So the people who are inspired by this and want to get involved with what you're doing there, how do they get involved with Innovation Lab? Absolutely. Well, you can reach out to us at velocity.com. Uh, we're not very good spellers, so it's velocity spelled with an <laughs> I. On the I like it. So velocity.com is the name of the company. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, and yeah, we're, 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 we're constantly looking to make connections, have great contacts with the industry, uh, just make friends, just, uh, you know, be able to, to be able to be a, a good supportive member of the community uh, that's treated us so well for so long. You know, in this space, the opportunity has never been greater. The the barrier to entry has never been lower. And mm. with more innovation labs like this, it doesn't matter what part of the country you're on. Go to Boston. Go to Kansas City. You can get involved with this stuff if this is what you want to make happen. We guarantee you you'll like your time in supply chain. Uh, it's been awesome having you on here. I think we got to throw them to the wheel, though, before we let oh, them yeah, go. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely got to throw them to the wheel. All right, let's see. Right around, we spin the wheel, All make right. the deal. All right. How long do you feel it will be before there's an affordable robot that can make your bed? Ooh. By make a bed, do you mean actually put the covers and blanket over? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Like in the morning. You get up in the morning, you're taking a shower, and a robot comes in and makes your bed. Uh, Why would you want one? I think maybe making a sandwich would be better. Yeah. All right. No, I don't like making my bed. I don't like a bed robot. You know, actually, but yeah, if you think about yeah. it, if you were to like ask an, an engineer, there's kind of a lot of challenges if you think about making a bed because you have to pick up the covers and it's kind of hard to make hands. And I don't know. I, I want one to go get me a beer so I could call it Edith, right? I, well, then you got to be like, how do you sell this Edith, for X amount while well, making it affordable to people? <laughs> hey, you know, it's been a great time. We really enjoyed having you on the show today. Uh, one more time, people want to reach out. It was Velocity, V-E-L-O-C-I-T-I. You got it. Velocity.com? Yes, sir. Beautiful. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, hopefully, too, you bring some of this innovation with you. November 8th to 10th down here to in-person events. Freight Waves doing F3, the Festival of Freight. It's going to be a big, big event. We're looking forward to it. Thanks, guys. Take care. <laughs> hey, and if any of you out there, hey. you want to come to F3, go to freightway, go to live.freightways.com. Click on F3. Use promo code WTT. You're going to save yourself $200, and you're going to have an amazing time. dollars Hey, you know what? $200. Let's jump back in a big deal, little deal. Oh, let's do that, man, because I got to go in here. Yeah. Well, first one, though. Oh. Big deal, little deal. What? Production team here. They, uh, you know, we've got to put out some fire. Big deal. We had to put out some, had to put out some fires. Very, very little we deal. We had to put out some fires during. Uh, we had to put out some fires during the segment. Big deal, little deal. Keeping everything. It's a smoothly. big deal. They could, I think it is they too. could totally take us off the air at any second. Though. I think it is too. They do little cowbell job. for the team in the back. Um, thank you so much. Thank Adapting you for sticking with us and overcoming. Yeah. I know. Well, the anxiety up here sometimes when you know, like it's you know the whole duck on water thing, the legs going underneath. Sometimes when we know like some back end stuffs going on with gas or whatever, like. Okay, hope everything goes smoothly. But you know what? We're not in the capsule being shut up into space, Michael Vincent. No, it's we're not. not. 
And there's nobody signing a petition for us to not return, yeah. which and is the first one. Oh, okay. What's going Dude, on here? There are tens of thousands, like 33,000 plus signatures as of Sunday. Yeah. For uh, that signed a petition uh, for Jeff Bezos to not return to Earth when he goes up to check out space here. So, <laughs> well, that's a much bigger deal than the ones who wanted him to eat the Mona Lisa last week, right? There was like 300 signatures and told Fox News. Put it yeah. And then with Fox News' help, it's only got this like 4,000. This one didn't make Fox News, did it? I mean, there's way too many signatures on here for it to I make mean, is this condi- does he have to eat the Mona Lisa first, or they just want well, him I, to go up into space? I, I think that if he do- it should be if he doesn't eat it, he shouldn't be allowed back. Well, there's a couple of things <laughs> in this story, right? It says there's multiple petitions out there. The front runner is do not allow Jeff Bezos to return to Earth. It's collected those 33,000 signatures. And it, part of the copy in there says billionaires should not exist yeah. on Earth or in space. But should they decide the latter, they should stay there. Yeah, they shouldn't exist in either place, but space is better than Earth, apparently. For I mean, what do they propose to happen? People. I mean, like, here's the thing. Like, with the innovation thing, right, there's got to be a goal to make these, to make these great companies and make, and make money. Yeah, I'm not saying Amazon well, does everything. Right. I, I agree. I think the bigger deal inside here yeah. is that I think... Bezos accidentally let loose that he's actually an alien. Oh, yeah. He said if you see Earth from space, right, it changes you. It changes your relationship with this planet, with, human- yeah. with humanity. It's one Earth. He said that on a video posted to Instagram. How does he know that? He hasn't been there yet, according to what we know. I think he maybe he has. I'm starting what about to all UFO him? reports that are coming. I think we should sign a petition to send him back to his own planet. Hey, let, we'll, we're gonna we're, <laughs> we're about to watch a video of something really cool here. It's trucker Petra Roselia Maples, right? She took her rig to the racetrack and showed it off against uh, some regular pickup trucks. Yeah, let's take a look at the video. Let's see how she does. Let's take a look at this race. I like the announcer. Coming down as Shannon's from here, it's got a rolling coal down the road. W nine hundred L eighteen hundred horsepower. Flying down the quarter mile track at eighty four miles an hour. Okay, so she lost. She lost to Horseshoe Randy, right? Yeah. Well, he's tough, Horseshoe Randy. I don't know if you know him. He's tough. He's still going on. Can you turn that video? Oh, that was, it's live. <laughs> We're live from the mid-America. I mean, I like that. Maybe there's some sound effects for the segment. Wasn't that? But you think it's a big deal? <laughs> she didn't win. I think it's a cool deal. It's not a big deal, but it's a very cool deal. I, yeah. It's cool that they let her go out there. It's cool that she went out and did it. I think it's. I think it's fun. I think it's a cool deal. Not a big deal though. All right. Well. That's my thing. Anyways. Gotcha. Uh, so big deal, little deal. Walmart invests in drone-up. Plans to drone or plans for drone deliveries from Bentonville store this summer, my friend. Huh, you know, you have been, and maybe it's your influence next to me, you've been sort of dismissive of drones. You're kind of a drone contrarian at times. Uh, oh, this is an interesting yeah, one. So what happened is they already piloted with this store. So they already yeah. did a pilot with them during the pandemic. They were delivering coronavirus test kits, right? Yeah. yeah. And they liked the results. They said, you know what? We could get these people, people to those. a couple minutes versus <laughs> a few hours. Yeah. Sure. Here's the thing. Like, it's, you know, if you have, a, if you have a, a kitchen cabinet, you know, you have all different utensils, right? Yeah. This is like its own specialized fork drones are right now. There's yeah. only certain a- absolutely. things you can do. Right? Yeah, it's the salad fork of delivery. It's the salad fork of delivery. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, That's it's not exactly kind of what I've contended. I'm not like against drones. It's just like, do you really think you're going to be sitting out in a back porch on Father's Day watching thousands of drones deliver somebody a carton of milk? No. 
I think you could do the carton of milk. It would be doable. I think it would be like the bag of groceries that wouldn't. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't buy it. I don't. Okay, well, I, I think it's it. a pretty big deal because just the space is heating up. You're actually seeing use cases. You're seeing these things. Uh, There's lots of use up. cases. I think a lot of these things are. I don't know. Anyway, All right. Well, we'll you've got uh, Suez Canal blockage in your own mind over the uh, the, <laughs> the use of drones. But That's here, right. A new compensation <laughs> offer has been made over the Suez Canal blockage. The Suez Canal Authority demanded $916 million in compensation to cover salvage efforts, uh, reputational damage, and lost revenue. What the, the reputational damage? The reputation of, of the Suez Canal? Yeah, I hold it in, in much less regard than I did before. I guess you do, but they, yeah. I mean, what other canal are you going to use? The other uh, one's pretty it, far away. Panama. Well, I'm going to go to Panama from now on. So initially, they almost wanted that billion, right? They lowered it. Yeah. So they're like, hey, we'll cut you a deal, $550 billion. Mind you, this ship, right? They finally let the crew out. But this ship is still impounded in Egypt. The ship and all these cargo things. And it people is. Make, people are making jokes online. Like, oh, my couch finally arrived from Suez. No, it didn't. No, it didn't. Your joke's not true. If it was on that ship, it's still there. Still there in Egypt, and it's still going to be there for a little bit longer unless they accept this offer, because the new ship's owners have submitted their counteroffer of $150 million. A big deal or a little deal? I think it's a big deal, man. I mean, it's first of all, the whole thing is ridiculous, and I think maybe the $150 million, I'd like to see the line item on this bill. Yeah. Is, I think, the big deal. Yeah. Where did this $916 million come from? That was offered, like, while it was still in the canal? <laughs> well, were they, they like, took it weren't they losing like $416 million an hour or whatever they yeah, say? Yeah, I don't know what it is, but it's a lot of cash. I think $150 million, I think they should pay something because I have good word that my fireworks are on that ship and I need them in another week. Well, you're out of luck on those ones. I think I'm out of luck. Good thing it's easy to find fireworks wherever you want. I'm a, I, I think so, too. You know what's getting difficult to do is find an American Airlines uh, flight that hasn't been canceled. They have canceled <sighs> hundreds of flights through mid-July in part due to a labor shortage. Now, there's a couple different factors that are going into this when you read through this and look at this. And what is it? Because we were like, all the whole storyline was airlines in big trouble, right? They've taken all the passengers, they got to put cargo, they don't know what to do with these things, they can't keep themselves afloat, they need a bailout, they need all these things, and now they're canceling everyone's flights? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, there are canceled flights, and some of it is due to their own labor shortages and stuff that is going on. But they're t- they're, what they're talking about is there was, there was some uh, 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 weather delays that have caused this, and yeah. then shortages at, uh, of labor at some of their vendors as well, keeping this stuff. And it is also pilots and stuff like that. So now they're trying to cancel more moving forward. It amounts to about 80 or so a day. Well, there was 120 on Saturday. Yeah, last 120 sat- on last Saturday. Saturday. So people, yeah. f- and this is Father's Day weekend. It is. People looking to see their families. Hundred, I, you know, I have tickets in I'm gone the week of the 19th. I don't think there'll be any with the truck, so I'm gone. I'm away. Yeah. That's when I'm flying home. I hope they don't cancel my ticket. That's mid-July. And I think I'm on America. Uh, yeah, you probably are. Um, yeah, I, I, hope, I hope they don't either. I don't know where you go and check to see if that is there, but it's, I guess it's a big deal if it's yours. They call it a fraction of flights. I don't know what that means, so they don't give us what percentage Yeah, 120 sounds like a lot of flights. It sounds like a lot of flights to me. Yeah, it, 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 and it's, you know, all the, all, it only takes one, too. It only takes one canceled flight. And they're trying to, speaking about reputational, they want reputational damages. The airlines are trying to get people back in the air. They're trying to yeah. get people back in. Well, if your first experience back is having a bunch of canceled tickets, I mean, that's not really going to bode well. <laughs> no, it's not. It really, it really is. Are other airlines having the same issue? I don't know. I, I, I would imagine if, I, if, if the if, labor if, thing, if the, everyone's having trouble with labor. I Every would, single guest we have on, so. too, they're like, we're hiring or, uh, you know, labor yeah. issues, labor issues. Issues are huge. And uh, I think they're going to – I don't think that that problem is going to go away. 
I mean, it, it, the labor issue on vendors makes sense. I mean, if everybody's having difficulty in warehouses and so on and so forth, they're having dis- issues with the supply chain at like O'Hare with the, the cargo and stuff. They got to be having ha- uh, cargo, hand, you know, baggage handlers, et cetera, yeah. ticket counter p- help, that type of stuff. What right? is this doing? We got to talk to Eric Coolish, maybe. You got to have do. him on now or something to find out what does this mean for Air Cargo if they're canceling all these yeah. flights? If anybody sees Eric, have him call us. Eric, you listen in. You text Eric, me right now. Tell right what does now. that mean Let so I can know. inform the people? Let us know what's going on. Here's a funny thing, too. They don't have a cutoff time for us, so we can just keep rambling on forever up here. According to them, we got this mic is minutes. live. All right. We got 44 minutes and I'm going to use every one of them. I'm just kidding. We, we have only one more big deal, little deal. And you know, if you didn't fly anywhere last year, you may have gone on Amazon and bought a bunch of crap. Oh yeah. And you may have remembered <laughs> prime day. You might last regret year, it too. You never know. It kicked. Well, it depends on what shows up. Right? <laughs> That's true. Depends on what you order. Yeah. What did you, what did you order? I didn't. What did you order that you regret? Oh, in the past? Do you ever oh, see the video? So many things. My you, ever see video where, no, you ever see the video where the kid orders the bog and it shows up and his and his uh, and his mom <laughs> and she's like, "What is this?" And he's like, "It's, it's a fl- it's a flower pot." <laughs> yeah, it's a flower pot. What are you it's talking? A flower about? pot. Yeah. Okay, but today is Prime Day. Um, big deal or little deal? And I'm going to jump in front of you on this one. I'm going to say it's a pretty big deal because I didn't even know today was Prime Day and <laughs> I, I follow this space. <laughs> I was going to say I'm going to answer that with one one question. It is? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know. Well, I, I always no think, like, so I'm not a good, like, bellwether of this. Because I always think, yeah. like, ah, Prime Day is going to decline. Because I read too much, like, Reddit and Twitter. And I, I read all the cynical people. And they're like, and it's true. You go on Amazon. It's like, unless you, right now, it seems like, unless you want an Amazon-specific device. They got great deals. You want an Echo Dot. You want to get my morning minute on it. Add the skill Freightways. You can hear the morning minute every morning. Or you can get it on podcast players everywhere. But you go on Amazon.com. You buy, like, an Echo Dot. It's like 20 25 bucks right now. Usually a little bit more. You can get a cheaper Ring Video doorbell. I've got some rings. They're pretty good. I uh, do, too. Yeah. Yeah, I like them. You, you know, the big deal is this, dude. $79.99 for a hand-picked monitor. Okay, don't get a Fire Stick. <laughs> Honestly, out there, don't get a Fire Stick. Get a Roku, get an Apple TV, don't get a Fire Stick. The really? OS is too slow, Ooh. in my opinion. In my opinion, yeah. that's my review. Okay. Can I say that? The opinions expressed on this hey, program you know are not over the weekend? So there's a new the... Disney Pixar movie, and it didn't go like that $29.99 thing. It went straight to Disney Plus called Luca. Did you see it? I, I didn't, but... It's about these two that boys who are like good. sea monsters, but on land they're 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 just boys. And oh, yeah, no, I did see the advertisement for that. Yeah, they're in Italy and they really want a Vespa and they get in this race. And yeah. I mean, the beats are pretty obvious. Like the funniest thing though is my kids were scared to death. The six and the four year old, not about like sea monsters or anything. They were so like. They had so much anxiety about the kids being on land because they weren't supposed to. They were defying their mother's orders, and like the suspense of them getting potentially <laughs> caught was like nightmare fuel to my children. <laughs> I was like, you guys can chill, right? Let's get there. You're going to get grounded, yeah. dude. <laughs> hey, it's a good time. Hey, thanks for bearing with us, everybody. Today, it's, it's been a good one. Wednesday, we have an even better one coming up, or at least, you know, we're always trying to top each other. Bill Drieger, co-founder of the Uber Freight. Yeah. Robert Moffat, EVP and Director of wow. Operations, and our friends at New Legend Inc. We got Austin Bregzizi, the uh, Booster VP of Sales, and Connor Miller, the COO at Arden X. It's going to be a... A very, very good time. Find me on Twitter, at Timothy Duna, that's D-O-O-N-E-R. Find him at Vincent and Dude. Subscribe to us wherever you get podcasts. Just look up What the Truck. Or if you want every single Freightways podcast on one feed, subscribe to Freightcast. Michael, Vincent, tell them how to be. Peace and love. Spread it everywhere, my friends.